Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, 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 it's Holden and I am an alcoholic. Today I am being joined by T. Hey, folks, how are you? How are you doing, T? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you joined us. Um, Why don't you give everybody your age, sobriety date, and what your drug of choice was? Well, my name is T. Pearson. Um, That's T-E-I, the E and the I are silent. I am 41. I'll be 42 um, in November. And I have been sober since October 17th, 2016 from opioids, aka stimulants, aka pain pills. That's incredible to have such a long sobriety time. Um, I know. Yeah, well, I just celebrated five years. That's, celebrated that's amazing. Celebrated five years, so I'm excited, yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you took the time out to join us. I know you, at least for us, you were one of the first people that actually reached out to us via social media to want to come on and join. Yeah, um, and it was important for me, too, because when I came across the platform, I was like, these are my people, right? Um, the flag waivers. And so I felt that it was important for us to have a conversation, you know, and I asked you, you know, are you into, are you interested in including, you know, other vices, you know, in this, in, in your platform? And you said yes. And so the rest is history. And so I thank you for opening up your platform to include other addictions, right? Because Alcohol is one, but we also know that pills are hitting our community is hitting our community really hard, you know, as well as some other things as well. So thank you. Yeah, I mean that's very true. I mean I think whether you struggle with pills, alcohol, methamphetamine, it's still an addiction, and how we get yeah. sober and how we maintain sobriety is somewhat very similar and almost the same across any addiction. So yeah. I think it's very important to include everybody um, in in this uh, platform that we I've created for everybody so why don't you kind of before we get into all my hard-hitting questions why don't we kind of give us a backstory on your addiction and what brought you to into sobriety so first I'm gonna give you a shout out Holden and say uh happy three month sobriety because I don't know if you was gonna say it but I'm gonna say it for you so uh thank you for making it to another day and you know it adds up to three months um but similar to most addictions, every day counts as old, counts over. And so the only reason why I knew I had five years is because that date is on my calendar. Um, and so I was able just to kind of go back and pull it. But every day starts over my clock as well. Every minute starts over my clock as well. So my addiction actually started when I um, was discharged from the United States Army. I'm a disabled Army veteran. Uh, I got injured when I went over to Germany and I was serving there. I fell off a military truck. And I hit my head, I hit my back, uh, fractured my hip and all of that good stuff. And so for uh, 22 years now, I've been living with constant pain. And so throughout the course of that constant pain, of course, doctors are very quick to write scripts. Um, Way before the opioid became a a crisis, they were handing out prescriptions left and right. Um, And, you know, for folks that that suffer from constant pain, you know that Anything that someone offers you as a solution for pain, you take. And so what wasn't being given is the precautions or the warnings that even though I'm telling you to take this medicine every four hours, that you may get addicted to it. 
and that you may come from an addictive family because both of my parents was drug addicts. And so me not knowing that I've come from this addictive gene line, right? I didn't know that me taking a pain pill for all of my pain was gonna lead to an addiction. Um, it wasn't until I was discharged that I was, um, you know, going back and forth to the doctors. I was taking the medicine as prescribed because that's the important part between as prescribed and addiction, right? I was taking it as prescribed, but then that, I'm gonna be honest with you, Holden, it just, just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. My pain was too much for, you know, a five milligram of anything. And so I became my own physicist and my own chemist. And I came up with my own concoction of pain medicine um, that worked for me. And that included a cocktail of, you know, some Dilaudid, a little couple Percocets. I would take a little Benadryl to kind of even that out just a little bit. Then you put a muscle relaxer to bring you back up. And then if it's too much, you take something else, you know, to kind of bring it back down. And so I would take 12 pills at a time, easy, easy. Um, and really think that it was normal. And I would give the perception that it was normal even to the folks that was around me because it wasn't until I became um, in tune with myself and I went um, kind of to like a, I wanna say like a rites of passage program. And I had to come in tune with this lady telling me who didn't know me that I was an addict. And so she asked me all these questions and I was like, damn, that is some addict shit. Like I was, I'm an addict because if I don't have my medicine, I'm a problem. I'm yeah. a problem. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> insane. I mean, I know for me, goodness, I mean, taking one Tylenol PM, I'm going to be out for the count, let alone. A Tylenol PM, that's it? <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm going I'm to tell you some real shit. Like I didn't know that people really went to sleep off of 25 milligrams of Benadryl. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was the thing because I was taking about 300 milligrams easy on my own, mixed in with perks, the lardis, oxys, muscle relaxers. And it's really, you know, on grace of God that I'm here by even my own concoctions and even by my own hands. I felt killing my own self. Yeah, that's, what I, gonna, that's yeah. what I was going to say. I mean, in order to actually get through that, I mean, because that's an overdose for many people that yeah. you are here by the grace of God and for a reason. Yeah, yeah. So, and sometimes the reason is in the pain. Yeah, no, for sure, exactly. So Lydia, of course, we, we, we know that at that time you were, you were using and abusing, especially yeah. with people with addiction and pills. There's a difference between taking it every four hours. Even as an addict, you can still take that medication if prescribed by the doctor in accordance to what they tell you. The moment mm -hmm. you're doubling, tripling dosage or sextupling, mm -hmm. I don't know how many 12 is. Right. So that's when it crosses over from being a need of a pain to an addiction. So Correct. what like what was the last moment leading up to? I mean, because I, I know that you went to rehab. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So what was the final breaking point of I need fucking help? Yeah. Um my breaking point was, I think, to be honest, I just was tired. Like I was tired of pills controlling my, it, as much as it was supposed to help with pain, it was causing more pain. Because like, if I didn't have it, I had body aches. And so pills are the legal version, right, of heroin. And I tell people the detox is the same shit. Like the detox is the same, the want is the same, the need is the same. 
it's the same, except one come from a corner, one comes from a pharmacy that you pay for with insurance, really, which is why some people, right, mature, uh, you know, if you will, from pill, well, they decline, rather, from pills to heroin, because it gives you the same kind of sensation and it's cheaper. And because you have to keep feeding that habit. Um, but I think my last straw, honestly, was I had tried to get myself clean for quite some time. And just like any other addict, you know, it's the cycle of abuse continua. So, you know, you do your oil changes as they call them, you know, you go sober up a little bit. I ain't gonna take nothing for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, we're gonna just go balls to the wall and see what happens. Um, so I had tried to do that for quite some time, but then I also at that point was going through a really tough divorce uh, from my first husband, as well as, you know, adapting to being a single mother and like not having no job, not having no income and being just left. And so with that, I was like, my pills became more of a coping, right? That I can use my pain as an excuse for. Um, and I didn't realize that till I got clean. Like now I'm in so much goddamn pain because I've been hosting, um, but I know if I take one pain pill, like that tears my whole damn life up because I'm not gonna be able to stop. Um, and so once I tried to get myself clean for the last time, I tried to kill myself again. I had got so greatly depressed that I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't focus. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. And this was the first time that this was in front of my child. Um, and so once I couldn't hide it anymore, it became more of a problem for me um, because my I do come from drug addicted parents. And so I seen what that does, even for me and my mom relationship and so I was like oh no 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 like I couldn't be that little did I know I was already that right <laughs> we don't realize that shit till we sober up but I was like oh no I cannot be that um and so I went to the drug man and I got some coke I got some um, pills I got some weed I got some alcohol um and I already had all my cocktails of everything else that I was taking and I took all that shit because at that point I was done. Um, I felt like I was a burden on folks because I was in so much pain. Um, I had six herniated discs. At the time I had fluid on my brain. Um, uh, I had fractured my hip, so my hip pops out of place sometime and just constant pain, fibromyalgia, migraines. I've lost sight, memory and everything else. Um, and so as the doctor said, I had every excuse to be an addict. Um, but what the doctors didn't see is my quality of life change, and my def my time definitely changed because it got to the point where I tried to kill myself six times, right? Why are you trying to sober up? And so at that last time, uh, I went to the hospital again. And I want to say I went to the ER after every felt suicide. After every felt suicide, because I'm like, I don't want to do this, but I can't help it because my body's telling me something is clicking, telling me that you're a burden. Something is clicking, telling me that like you ain't shit. And like something is telling me that like that policy that you got is going to be better for your daughter than you being here in her face. Right. So mm -hmm. when I was like, no, nah, that ain't right. And my daughter came and she talked to me and I was like, you know what? This shit ain't working. Like clearly I suck at killing myself. Like that, that's the reality. I, I fucking suck at it. And so like at some point you got to give up. And so I don't had to give up of that tribe because clearly, like you said, I'm here for a reason. Um, so I took my I asked to, I took my ass to the mental health hospital first. So I was I, on the third floor. 
I heard a story. Um, you you sent me the link and you shared that plane ride. Is that yeah. the that the hospital you were going to at this That's time? The hospital. No, this oh. was at, that was rehab. Okay, that was rehab. So yeah, that was right after that. Okay, so even after the mental health hospital, you still were using. Oh yeah, I was using real good up there on that third floor. They had my pills ready at pill call. I went there so I didn't kill myself. And so I could find a place to go for rehab, but I wasn't ready to go to rehab. I just needed to not be crazy and not kill myself, color, eat apple juice, you know, drink apple juice and have me some new friends on the third floor. But then midway through, I was like, shit, I'm still in here getting my pills. I, I mean, I was cussing nurses out. Where's my medicine? What you mean to get out to get it from downstairs? You knew I was getting my shit at eight o'clock with everybody else. Where's my perks? Oh my goodness. And meant it. But because they was working on the psych floor, you know, they ain't saved us so much. But so, yeah, I got my pills. Yeah, so, of course, um, even after that, you you came out, were using, and like, I mean, as you said, you sucked at killing yourself, which is a good thing, because mm-hmm. I know, you're right? a mother. And, yes. of course, we'll, we'll, I want to touch the sobriety of motherhood a little bit later, a little bit after this, but after that, you were still using, and then you, you checked into uh, rehab. Why don't you tell mm-hmm. people that, about that plane ride, so um, after I got out from the third floor, I got out on a Friday. By that Sunday, I was on my way to Florida to rehab. Um, and I found this spot on my own. Shout out to me, right? I found this spot on my own and I did the paperwork and all that stuff, bought the plane ticket. Well, I didn't really have to buy the ticket because my husband at the time worked for the airline and we flew for free. But that was a perk. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go and I'm, because Oprah went there. They said online that Oprah went there for when she had that little eating situation back in the day. And that's all these other celebrities had went there back in the day. So to my surprise, my insurance covered it. So I said, I'm going, right? Because if Oprah can go get help for eating, I can go get help for not taking these pills, right? So I go, we get the plane ticket, we get the everything. And so we are on the plane. Now, folks that know when you're going to rehab, you don't go to rehab sober because who does that? Nobody goes to rehab sober. So I made sure I packed up all my pills that I had left. And, you know, it's the one last hurrah. So my one last hurrah was uh, me taking my lunch bag. I had sick mine. I, can't, I carried my daughter's old lunch bag. And that's what I carried all my pills in. And I had all my bottles of pills on the plane. So when the, the, we take off, the hostess come through. Anybody need something, ma'am? Yes, ma'am. I need some water. Um, and so when she came and she bought me the water, I couldn't wait to break my lunchbox open. It was like a new day of awe. It's like the sunshine through the window of the airplane. And I got busy. I got to doing my chemist work and pulling out my pills and my concoction because I knew I wanted to be fucked up when I went to rehab. Um, it didn't make sense to go in sober when I was going to come out sober and nobody was getting rid of no damn pills in no trash can. Like that would have been just too damn ghetto. Like I had to take that shit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm on a plane and I took the pills and somewhere in there it kicked in between the altitude and the pills. I started seizing apparently. Um, and all I remember is waking up and I looked up to my left and the hostess was there, the stewardess rather was there. And I looked over to my right and my husband was there. And I'm trying to figure out like, what the hell is y'all staring at me for? And so basically they tell me that they were going to do an emergency landing of the plane because I was seizing and they didn't know what was up. So that sounds real and good, right? That anybody probably would have panicked. 
not me, because I felt like I still had some shit to do and I still had pills in my lunchbox. Ma'am, I'm fine. Can I have some more water? Um, and that was my conversation with the store. That's the job. I was like, you really about to take some more pills? Yes. That man said, we about to land. I'm not going to rehab sober. Like, no. Because I already read online that they take the pill bottles and they make you, you know, lock them up or throw them up. But the jacked up part is that when you leave, they give you back your belongings. And sometimes your belongings include pills because the law say they can't discard everything. Oh my God, that's absolutely nuts that they would actually give you back what you were addicted to. I understand right. the prescription aspect of it. So yeah. it's different so than methamphetamine. You, right. So, right. So legally they can't throw it out. Yeah. So I know you are a mother. So yes. how old is your daughter um, when you went to rehab? Um, let's see. I went in 16, seven, seven. so about nine. She probably okay. was about nine. So even though people think a nine-year-old is very young, they are actually very receptive to what's going on around them. And so mm -hmm. is like, what is the word I'm looking for? How is your relationship's daughter? I mean, relationship with your daughter pre going to rehab and after, because of course, pre rehab, even though as we as addicts don't think our kids know or know how bad it right. is, but they do. Right. right. So how has that relationship changed? Um, well, before rehab, right, she wasn't aware that I had an addiction, right? Because that would have been a whole nother conversation to have with her. So because she's used to me being sickly, like I've pretty much been in and out of the hospital her whole life because of all of my medical conditions. So she's used to mommy going to the hospital. Um, and so that's what we used when I was in the mental health section. And then when I went to rehab, it was the same conversation. Mommy has to go away so she can get herself better. Um, but she is very mature. Like she wanted the phone number to the hospital. She called all the time. And even when they're like, well, we can't tell you, you know, we can't confirm nor deny if she's here. She's like, that's my mom. And I know she's there. And so like, you can tell her to call me. And so in between classes that I really didn't go to, because I had to sleep the first couple of days, you know, detox. Um, but, you know, she was looking for me. And so after we had, though, we had a conversation because I wanted her to know who her mom is completely. Right. Um, I think a lot of times we have folks that pass on and we don't know anything about them. And so I'd rather her know from me who I am. Um, and so I sat her down and I told her about my addiction. You know, when mommy told you to go get her her pills, right? Sometimes it was for pain. Sometimes it was because I just needed to disappear, right? Um, and so we had that conversation. And so because of that transparency, it brought us closer. Which is it brought really us nice. closer. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even, I was probably maybe like even a teenager before I realized what it was my mom and my dad was, if it makes sense. Like, you know, I knew what they did stuff, but not a name to it. And I wanted her to not necessarily associate taking all of these pills with um, it being okay, because it's not. Yeah, and I think as a child, especially when the parent comes to them and admits their faults, even though something may have happened in her younger years that she carries over into adulthood, she'll say, okay, yeah, my mom may have been an addict, but you know what? At the age of nine, mm -hmm. she got sober and came to mm -hmm. me and explained to me what it was. So mm -hmm. kids are a lot more appreciative of honesty and transparency than they are like, well, my mom was an addict. So she just hid it from me all these years. Right. Um, so that's really important. And I know, I mean, you're married. I'm assuming I, 
heard. Is what you say on Facebook is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I am um, actually damn near divorced from my second marriage um, to a man. Um, I am in a wonderful relationship and engagement actually um, with my fiance, who's a female. Um, and so, yes. Well, yes, you go, girl. To get into the tea. Get into the tea holding. <laughs> well, you know um, what? That's actually good for my question then. Okay. So in sobriety, we find that we actually develop like a new identity of who we are, but like separating that addict. So do you think becoming sober and becoming a new tea um, affected your marriage? Do you think that becoming your new self actually ended that marriage? Or is it the fact of you came to terms with your sexuality? Oh, those are gas holding. Um, wow. Okay. So before I answer that, I want to go back to my daughter real quick. I want to, you know, enable and encourage folks rather to include their kids into their recovery plan. Um, because I do have a lot of medical situations. I am back and forth still into the hospital. Um, but my daughter works my recovery plan. She knows when I go to the hospital to not allow them to give me anything that's a narcotic. So they're like, well, we're going to give you pain. She'd be like, uh-uh, what's that? Is that a narcotic? She's in recovery. <laughs> so, um, you know, allow them to be that for you because we listen to our kids before we'll listen to anybody else. And so I wanted to leave that there for folks. Um, wow. So no, my, my relationship ended this last one because he was selfish. Um, as I got sober, so first of all, we got married on my hundredth day of sobriety. Right. So that shouldn't have happened, right? Um, he's also in recovery um, for alcohol um, and way further than me. Um, however, you know, we shouldn't have got married 100 days in. Um, and as things kind of moved further along, we were able to have different stages of marriage, if you will. But then it became clearer and clearer more to me as I got further along in my sobriety that I required more and that I demanded more and that I needed more. Things that I had communicated to him through all kinds of different ways, even therapy and counseling and all of that. All while myself, I was going, not myself, I was going through a process which I call my healing journey uh, that allowed me to kind of process through all of these different phases of my life and the different traumas and the different decisions and the things that needed to happen. Within that, I realized that my bisexuality really wasn't as much bisexuality as it was probably more lesbian. Um, and then my separation with my husband continued more because of his selfish things. And so as he kind of stepped his self kind of out of the picture, that allowed me to kind of focus more on what I knew I wasn't going to accept anymore. And so then we had to have that difficult conversation probably difficult more for him than me because I had already made my mind up that I was done with kind of begging for things and not putting myself first and so it was my hit at five years you know that made me say I'm not begging for anything anymore uh, I deserve to be with someone who's going to make me completely happy and fulfilled and support my recovery right um and then you know God brought this wonderful woman into my life and you know, it works. She gets it. She gets the lifestyle, right? 
um, and also be able to assist me with my recovery so that we can continue to be sober, um, you know, one day at a time. Yeah. And I, I actually, I want to kind of rewind. I, I love the fact that your daughter kind of puts you in check and is that accountability factor, which is so important because the one thing you can't lie to or is your children because they see right through that shit. Um, now let's go to your husband or ex-husband is I think a lot of men, he probably had more of an issue with it. Cause even though he probably knew you were bisexual going in, when you leave a man to go to a woman that hits their pride, that hits their ego. And they're like, Oh shit. Was that that damn bad that she went to a woman? But again, I think it's super important to be just like, it kind of took a while for you to understand that even though you were bisexual, you did ultimately lean one way. And it kind of mm-hmm. took this huge journey to understand that. So of course, that's a whole nother topic. We here to talk about sobriety, not sexuality. But I, but I, could, but I got an answer for that. I actually told him that I said, you know, you are the last man that I will ever be with. And you can hang your hat to know that you were the last man that will ever hit this. Um, because now, you know, I ain't the man, but I am the man, if that makes sense. So, <laughs> no, I you know, completely understand. I, yeah, and so I told him that, you know, and I told my daughter, um, you know, I know, you know, this could be maybe a little confusing, even though I'm coming out of a marriage to a man and I was married to your dad before, like, you know, I've always been bisexual and like, I'm choosing to, you know, feed this other side of me um, as we kind of figure out which one is the most authentic. And I, I have found it. Um, and everybody is completely supportive. It's not like a new thing. I've always had, I've always been the same person. The only difference is, is you know, who's um, beside me um, a lot more. Well, especially your daughter being as, as old as she is, um, yeah. the younger generation is very Oh, they know so much. I got to yeah. ask her sometime. I'm, I get confused sometime. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do, what this mean? And, and what's this flag? And what's this acronym? She's like, mom okay, so this is that, and this means that this, that, and I'm like, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> exactly, so um, coming out of rehab, um, mm-hmm. we, we all kind of deal with triggers, and especially your your addiction was fueled by pain um, initially, so coming out of rehab, you still had that pain, so how did you cope with those urges to use, especially still dealing with what caused it? Um, how do I deal with it? I think about the bad part. Right now, I'm in so much pain. I am. My body hurts. I have six herniated discs, um, and you know, two in my neck and four in my back, and a lot of muscle issues. And so, I would love a Percocet right now. I that's my honest answer. I will. If somebody say, "Look, I got an oxy," I might breathe hard. But then I got to think about if I take this one thing for this temporary relief, what harm is it going to cause me down the road? And I got to think that I've come from, I have all these addictive traits, right? And so I know that there are many people that can do pain control. And I've had conversations even with doctors of trying to figure out how to manage my pain a little bit better. Um, But narcotics is just not the way for me because it's going to put me back down in that rabbit hole. So I smoke a lot of weed. I eat a lot of weed. (laughs) Um, I stretch. Um, I mind my business. Uh, and yes, I just try to be positive, you know, positivity and good energy and laughing. One of my favorite hashtags is laugh through your pain. 
and laugh a little. I find like I'm a humor conversationalist. I like to make shit funny even when it ain't for most people. But it's a couple dark-minded people that gets most of my shit, so we good. Um, but I like to laugh through it because laughing helps me. And so I say it out loud, hoping that it can help somebody else. Um, and that's really, you know, kind of what I do. I, I'm in an extremely amount of pain about 97% of the day. And folks don't know that because I try not to show it. Um, because it's complaining. Complaining makes your spirits go down. It ain't shit I could do about it. I ain't having that surgery. I made that up. Like y'all ain't about to put all that metal on my back. I like to go through TSA too much. They keep getting held up and I'm already be running late. So like, I don't have time for that extra. Um, but you know, shout out to the people that can still be in recovery and take pain medicine as prescribed. My greedy ass just ain't one of them people. You know, yeah. and so I have to stay focused on the reality for me that like, don't give me no little, don't give me no inch because my ass gonna take that mile and it's gonna start over so much trauma for my child and for my new children, you know, my bonus children and for, you know, my partner now and my rest of my village that has helped me to get to five years and plus, um, you know, and not without hiccups. Like, you know, the thing is that you can get somewhere and get close enough to that damn fall, and you got enough time to back away. Yeah, I know. I mean, as soon as you said he had a herniated disc in the neck and then back, I started thinking of the song, My Neck, My Back. My Neck, My Back, <laughs> lift my and my right. I was saying, well, maybe if she got down to that song, she wouldn't be hurting so much. <laughs> That's why what it was, too, but don't tell nobody. <laughs> so, of course, you're you're five years in. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, well, let me backtrack just slightly. So, you, you talked about like kind of thinking of the future if you were to start using again. I know at least in the program that I work, we classify that playing the tape forward, knowing right. that the moment you take a drink, what's going to happen next, next, next. And yes. um, so I know that at least I work a program, a 12 step. Do you work any program whatsoever in your life currently? No. So I have not done any um, like recovery type program, a uh, traditional recovery program, if you will. Um, but through just my own research, I do a lot of reading. I've done a lot of, um, I'm actually doing, I do recovery support work now, right? For other folks that's in recovery. And so I do a lot of reading um, and I found myself that I ground myself in my spirituality. My spirituality is what kind of keeps me, um, if you will, aligned with mm -hmm. what needs to happen. Yeah, I think spirituality, um... I, I know that it's not for everybody, but I find yeah, yeah. a program or no program, you you have to rely on something. Yeah. Trust and believe. We we you try to rely on narcotics. I try to rely on Jameson and some tequilas and I mean everything right. else that was on the shelf. So of course we we always talk about the further we get sober, the closer we are to using. Because mm. we kind of forget that we're not supposed to drink. We're so yeah. you could be at a party and all of a sudden it's there. So five years in how do you mm. especially your partner probably deals with pain I don't know if she's in recovery but how do you deal with remembering that you can't use um so no she's she's not she doesn't have this vice right that we have um for addiction but what keeps me sober is actually accountability to be honest with you hold it it's the accountability of folks around me because if it was left up to me, there's would have been times, I mean, like I said, somebody drop a Percocet in front of me, you know, I'd be like a crackhead trying to make sure I can grab it fast enough. But my accountability to other people makes me walk away from it. 
Mm-hmm. Because I mean, sometimes as addicts, I don't even think my, I don't feel like I'm worthy of my own sobriety sometimes. But you are worthy. And if, if you weren't well, worthy, maybe now. you would have been better, better at suicide. <laughs> right. That part. If I was, a, if I read more books, then maybe, you know, the suicide would have worked that time. Exactly. Time I in. think you, you are, you're in the line of recovery. And I think helping other addicts also helps. Whisper. Okay. Other addicts, helping other addicts makes, helps you stay sober. Let me take one of my earplugs out. I was talking loud. Okay, okay. now I found better. <laughs> no, that, that happens. Um, so I know helping other addicts helps us stay sober. So of course, you're in a line of helping people in sobriety. So do you think your daily work helps you stay sober yourself? Yes. Yes. Um, and it goes back to accountability. Like all of that is accountability uh, and intentionality of, you know, putting ourselves in positions of um, constant reassurance that you're doing the right thing and constant reassurance that every day counts new for me, just like every day counts new for you. Um, Because I don't get so far behind or so caught up in this five year thing that I think I'm untouchable to a relapse. Or I think I'm untouchable to a, you know, a backslide or, you know, uh, anything that you want to call it. Every day I wake up with pain, I pray that I don't fall to my temptation somewhere down the day, down the road to that day. Um, The accountability, that's all I can go back to is like, you know, relying on folks, whether it's sponsors, um, whether it's your family members, your friends, your classmates, folks you've met in recovery. But I got something to say about that too. <laughs> um, some people get jealous, you know, of sobriety, and they don't want you to get a f- higher number than them. As stupid as that sounds, you know, they will try to s- set you up for failure. And so, be mindful of folks that you even surround yourself with as you do your recovery road yourself, because everybody is in the same place of their healing journey and their recovery journey. And some folks is just there for oil change, something real temporary. They're not here for the long road. So, yeah. you know. When it comes to jealousy, I think that's something that they're still a sick person. So the thing is, yeah. they're still mentally sick. And I mean, we were yeah. at some point mentally sick in order for us to get into addiction. Shit, I so- still am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in that DSM book hard. So <laughs> I think it's okay if they're jealous because guess what? They're years down the line. They're going to understand that jealousy that they held on to was idiotic mm-hmm. and then they will turn around and be of service to somebody else and make sure mm-hmm. that they can get that time and and everything like that so i mean but guess what bitch hate, haters can hate haters can hate but even the folks that's jealous gonna watch mm-hmm. and so like if you if they watch it even from the sideline you can show them how to do it i always tell people love me or hate me my name is still in your mouth that's it one way or another and they like what the old folks say if you any attention is good attention. Yes. So whether you talking something good or talking something bad, guess who name you just said? Like you said, hold and say that name. Yeah, the you Kardashians. Say, say my name, say my name. Right. <laughs> so before we end this, um, what, um, how can people reach you if they want to get a hold of you? Wow. So you guys can find me on Instagram at TEI underscore Pearson. I'm also uh, on Facebook at the T Pearson Experience as well as YouTube. You could check me out everywhere if you go to my car, my crd.is 
forward slash the TPX. And I'm sure Holden will put it down there for the folks that write slow. But um, yeah, you guys can come check me out. If you go to my direct website, it's thetpx.com for all of your hosting needs, man. I'm a host and I enjoy hosting. I enjoy, that's my coping skill too. Me moving and shaking and like loosening up my bones and my muscles at the same time as making folks have a good ass time have a good ass time um, and being able to smile through it, even though I'm in pain, because sometimes laughing goes a long way for folks. And so does a smile. So. Yeah. Cause we all know through recovery, it's not all shun signs and roses. And so I think Hell no. keep smiling and push through it because that little dark corner you fall into can easily send you back out. And, but it's guess what? A week later, you can get right back out of that and be back on that pink cloud that yeah. we all know. So yeah. is there anything that you want to say that we haven't touched? Um, I just would like to, you know, uh, uh, say thank you again for opening your platform uh, to my addiction, which is several other folks' addictions. Um, and for folks that may not know, if you have an addiction to opioids or pain pills, Holden said it at the beginning. If you are taking it past what it is prescribed, then legally, right, they say that you're um, abusing it. And so check into it. If one of my warning signs is that when I didn't have it, I lost my damn mind. I became evil. I, my body was hurting real bad. I got the BGs, which is bubble guts for folks that didn't know. Um, my stomach was hurting really bad. My everything hurt. And so it wasn't until I went to rehab that I learned that I was withdrawn, right? And so once you get through that, once you get to that withdrawal point, you're no longer using it for medical purposes. And so it's okay to admit that something is going on with you and that you need some support. It don't make you a bad person at all, but it could make you a dead person if you don't take care of it. So exactly. it one extra pill, yeah, one extra pill can escalate real quick. No, it really can. Quick. A friend of mine actually died from opioids. And oh, I'm um, sorry to hear that. It's, she's in a better place. I mean, she's in a lot of pain. Um, I mean, yeah. mentally, physically, everything. Um, yeah. And she's going through a month's supply in a week on top of vodka. So, I mean, that's all a, about right. Oh, I took mine with vodka. Yeah, it she was cross addicted. So, which yeah. many, many addicts are. But um, again, yeah. thank you so much, Chief, for reaching out and joining us today. I appreciate it. Hey, Holden, you keep doing what you're doing. You keep getting this platform out there because folks like us need it because it hits our community a whole lot harder, right? Because it's so normal, quote unquote, to drink, to pop pills, to snort lines and all of that stuff, to even have sex continuously because sex addiction is a thing. Um, but through this platform and folks celebrating each moment with each other, folks lifting up each other, folks talking about all of these different arrays of addiction so that we all know that we're all connected. Mm -hmm. That DNA of addiction connects us regardless of what our drug of choice is. So I appreciate you, brother, for inviting me to your platform, to your to your folks. And if I could be of assistance to some folks, I ain't gonna be no sponsor or no shit like that. But like if they, they got some questions, then you know they can hit me up and we can chit chat about it. 
Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober-owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober-owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.